Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Tuesday, January 12th. Social media stocks are down, average daily COVID deaths are up past 3,000, and we're focused on the fall of Parler. You might remember that in November, shortly after the election, we interviewed the chief policy officer of Parler, a relatively new social media site that had become a right-wing alternative to Twitter, where moderation was light and quote-unquote free speech was the rallying cry. In the subsequent months, Parler continued to grow, regularly topping both the Apple and Google Play app stores. But so did the anger of many in its community toward the election outcome, driven by baseless conspiracy theories of President Trump and many of his acolytes. And after last Wednesday's attack on the Capitol, it became obvious that many of the insurrectionists not only had made their intentions clear on Parler, but had also used it as one of their online organizing tools. The blowback was swift. Apple and Google kicked Parler out of their app stores. On Sunday night, Amazon stopped it from using AWS, its massive cloud hosting platform, which effectively took Parler offline. Parler responded yesterday by suing Amazon, claiming antitrust and contractual violations, but it remains down as of this taping. And then it was discovered that someone had scraped all of the posts on Parler, including posts that users had subsequently deleted. It wasn't exactly a hack, but it certainly seemed to suggest some security flaws. The bottom line is that Parler has become an avatar for the broader conversation over political violence and big tech censorship that's roiling America. So we want to dig into what really happened at Parler and what happens next with Nicole Perlroth, who covers cybersecurity for The New York Times. So, Nicole, what happened exactly yesterday with Parler and its data? So originally we were started seeing reports that it was hacked. It was not hacked. What happened was some security researchers had figured out that there were some undocumented features in the API that allowed them to scrape all of Parler's public data. So posts, images, videos, and in fact, they learned that they could even scrape deleted posts because Parler's internal controls weren't actually deleting posts or messages that users thought they had deleted. They were just marking them invisible to other users. So originally, we started seeing some of these claims trickle out on Twitter that uh, security researchers were able to go back and try and collect. They were in this effort to try and get everything they could from January 6th, the day of the Capitol riots. And then as soon as they started to hear that Amazon might pull the plug on Parler entirely, they went ahead and were able to scrape, they say, more than 90% of the content on the app. And just to be clear, because this was some of the rumor that was on Twitter and then on Reddit, on Parler to become a verified user, which most of its users weren't, but to become a verified user, you actually have to, had to provide Parler with a copy of some sort of government-issued ID, a driver's license, a passport. That information did not get into the public sphere, correct? What we're learning is that Parler actually collected an usually high and sensitive amount of data. It wasn't just driver's licenses. It was social security numbers. But what the security researcher said was that that's not the content that they were collecting. They weren't collecting your social security number. They were just scraping all public data, including these deleted posts. But I think the key here is that I think users would be surprised to know how much data that contained and how much data Parler was collecting. So even if you, let's say you were part of the siege on the Capitol on January 6th, 
and you posted a photo from it and then quickly realized that that could be used by law enforcement to identify you. I'm sure there are people who probably deleted those posts and don't realize that that data is still publicly available. And that image would contain some geolocation data that would show that you were inside the Capitol. So all of that data is now available to law enforcement. What, if anything, does the ability of these folks to scrape that information before Parler went offline, what does that tell us about Parler's security or lack thereof? And I'll say this in the context of plenty of companies, you know, big, big online companies have had data actually hacked from them. This is publicly scraped. Does this suggest that Parler isn't very good at what it does, or is this just kind of par for the online course? So I would say 10 years ago, I would have told you this is par for the online course. But since we've had 10 years of hacks and very publicized data scrapes of sites like LinkedIn, this is very unusual. This was a massive security failure on Parler's part. And I think even more so when you go back and understand that Parler's pitch to its users was that it was more uh, conscious of their privacy. It made the actual pitch that it did not collect as much data as some of these other companies. And all you had to do actually was go read through their privacy policy to understand that that was just not true. To allow some third party to come in and so easily scrape all of your users' content, including posts they thought had been deleted, is a massive massive security failure. And I would not be surprised if we start seeing some class action lawsuits. You made a comment that if you were at the Capitol and you had posted a picture and then maybe deleted it, that information is now out there. That photo is now out there, maybe with some metadata and other information. Are we hearing anything about law enforcement using the parlor scrape to try to identify perpetrators? So I think law enforcement could have potentially gotten access to this data with or without the public data scrape. And given how it was done, I don't know if you know, that could be used by prosecutors in a court of law. But as some security researchers and legal experts told me yesterday, it certainly helps with the FBI's leads. When you say you're not sure if it could be used in a court of law, is scraping information like what was done with Parler, is that act illegal? I don't think it's illegal because basically what what happened was Parler left this data to be scraped. But I think there will be some questions around whether that was considered authorized or unauthorized use of its data. So it's just a big legal question hanging over this. But regardless, all that data is now public. I have no doubts that law enforcement have been pouring through it to see you know, who was inside the Capitol on January 6th and if they can go back and identify some of those users. And if they could, they can just go to Parler and ask them to give them the data using a warrant. So I'm sure that there are plenty of next steps here. The person who's responsible for the scrape is not uh, known by their actual name. They've got a Twitter handle, at donk underscore NB. Do we know anything actually about this person? And do you know who this person actually is? I don't know who this person actually is. And their Twitter handle was something like donk NB. I reached out to them yesterday and had not heard back, but it appears to be A security researcher, she identifies as she and as a hacker um, and has said that she is doing this for, you know, activist reasons. So, you know, and originally she was doing this just to pull the content from January 6th. And then as soon as it became clear that the whole app was going to shut down, she was able to pull content, you know, for more than 99% of the entire app. So 
you know, she was doing this for reasons that we can debate about in some other forum, but you know, her, her motive was to expose some of this content and some of the people that were participating in the riots on January 6th. So Parler gets shut down basically midnight on Sunday and hasn't been online since then. There's all sorts of reports that a lot of the folks who were using Parler, or at least to kind of call them hardcore Trumpists, have moved to other platforms, particularly things like Telegram and Signal, which are encrypted from a pure, whether you want to call it a law enforcement point of view, from a journalist point of view, does moving to those sorts of sites make it harder if there is some other sort of violent event to find who these people are? In other words, was Parler almost serving a backdoor law enforcement boon, whereas something like Telegram and Signal won't? It's a really good question. I would suspect that law enforcement would have preferred that Parler stayed up because of this exact reason. Same with, you know, Signal will make it a lot harder for law enforcement to pinpoint people who are posting extremist content or threats um, of violence. And I always think about this, you know, there's always been calls, for instance, let me just go back to something called Cloudflare. You know, Cloudflare is a company that helps um, websites stay up under a deluge of traffic, right? They're a major Silicon Valley company. And sometimes they've come into the crosshairs of people who say they should not be hosting Nazi sites um, or extremist sites or, you know, sites like 4chan. And their argument has been, listen, we've never heard from law enforcement to pull these sites down, but we get plenty of requests from law enforcement for some of our customers' data when there are threats of violence or you know, extremist content, et cetera. So it's always been the preference of law enforcement that this information stays public. So now the question is, you know, for all the people who were calling on Parler to be brought down, have they just sort of driven this content into these channels that'll be much harder to identify and root out? Nicole Perlroth of New York Times, also the author of the upcoming book, This Is How They Tell Me The World Ends. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. What we're watching today are new federal guidelines from the Trump administration that are designed to speed up COVID-19 vaccinations. The key changes are threefold. First, recommendations that the process be opened up to everyone older than 65 years old. Two, recommendations that first doses be given even if there aren't enough second doses yet available in reserve, which is something proposed first last week by the incoming Biden administration. Three, the new rules would expand where people can get vaccinated to include community health centers and additional pharmacies. And speaking of COVID-19, we are also watching a growing number of House members who've tested positive this week, possibly because many of them were sheltered in place during last Wednesday's attack. So far, all three known positive cases are for Democratic lawmakers, although there's also video of a large group of Republicans refusing to wear masks in that shelter-in-place room, even when asked repeatedly to do so. And finally, today we are watching reports that U.S.-based private equity firm Silver Lake is planning to buy a stake in the commercial interest of New Zealand rugby, which is the parent company of the All Blacks. If you don't follow rugby, this might not mean anything to you, but the All Blacks are more like religion than a sports team in New Zealand. And this could be the most significant example of a major sports organization raising money since the pandemic sucker punched their businesses. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, have a great national Marzipan Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another 
Axios Recap.